Have a good night. <laughs> good morning, everyone. My name is Doug. I'm the high school pastor here, and I'm honored and excited to be with you. I don't know if you know, but our high school students and many of our young people have been gone for the last couple months. I was in Albania with a group of high school students visiting our sister church, Way of Peace. They say, Shkeme which I'm pretty sure means like hey or something like that. So hopefully I don't get that wrong. So shkeme to you. <laughs> also, we're at Hume Lake where we were averaging a solid one hour of sleep a night, making sure that everyone somehow stayed alive. We had the Lord doing a lot of things in our lives. And just two weeks ago, this entire room was full of students as we were doing VBS. And now as we sit coming to the end of our summer and the end of our Galatians series, it's an honor to be with you and talk about Galatians 6 this morning. If you're here last week, Eric Wakeling talked about a passage that comes out of Galatians 5. Let me just sum up what we talked about last week. It says this in 524. It says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And as we think about living in the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and crucifying our passions and our flesh, what's something that comes up for me, something that's a reality for many of us, from our young people to all all of us, to our older people, is that many of us struggle with this. If Paul just set up the ideal of what the Christian life looks like, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, putting to death the things of the flesh, we are over here struggling, ladies and gentlemen, because it is really, really hard. And if it's really easy for you, that's awesome. But I want to tune you into what most people are going through, is that it is really hard. It's really hard to put to death the things of the flesh, and to put to death our passions, and to live in our spirit. Not only are we struggling in sin issues, and many of us have been trapped and ensnared in issues like sin, but many of us are just burdened, and we have a lot going on in our lives. You need to look no further than our college students who go back to school in two weeks. Sorry to bum you out, but you're about ready to go back. Nobody has any money. you got to buy books. All the teachers are scary, and you're not even quite sure if you committed to the right major, and you're stressed. A lot of people have a lot going on. Some people want to get a date really bad. Some people probably are going on too many dates, and you got problems to deal with. Some people want a job, right, really bad. You need work. Other people probably shouldn't work as much as they work. They should probably go home for a little bit. Other people want to have kids really bad. Some people want to have more kids. Other people are just sick of the amount of kids that they have, and they're wondering why do they have so many kids. Some people need money. Other people have too much money. Those people, no one knows anyone like that. But they're probably people who do have too much money. But many of us are going through struggles. And as we find ourselves trying to live out the spirit-filled life, we are struggling. And on a, on a serious note, what, the things that happened this weekend in Virginia, the, the protests for white supremacy, and the violence and the hatred and the racism and the death, that happened because of the struggle and the issues that we get trapped in and the sin that we get trapped in and the things that we are burdened by are weighing us down. 
And this idealistic life of living in the Spirit is so wonderful. But it feels like we come over here and we're living in the real world and we say, how is this applied to what we're going through? Because I'm starving, I'm hungry, I got problems, I have family drama, I got no money, I got all these problems, and I'm trapped in this sin, and I'm surrounded by people who are under so much burden, what am I supposed to do? And it almost feels like if you just read Galatians 5, you feel like it doesn't apply to real life. But it goes on, which we're going to talk about this morning. And as I think about how it goes on, and we look at the life that we're stuck in, coming from a month of spending time with young people, I want to assure you that this post-Christian world that we talk about, that the things are getting harder and that things are worse for our students, it's true. It's absolutely true. We say oftentimes in this culture, it doesn't matter what you believe in this culture. It doesn't matter what you do. Everything is cool. And that does read a certain way for some people and a positive way. But I'm telling you, for our young people, they believe this, that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. They translate it as it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you care about. Just... You don't matter. And they're struggling and they're burdened. But it's not just them. All of us are under an immense burden. And what the world says is crucify your flesh. Put to death your flesh and your passions. May it never be. Those are the very things that you should live into. And everything is so wonderful about those things. They say, no, 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 no. Don't worry about living a spirit-filled life. Don't worry about love, peace, kindness. Instead, focus on jealousy, sexuality, hatred, words of anger. These are the things that get you somewhere in life. And then we as Christians come along and say, no, we need to be in that, but set apart from it. Being a voice of love, of freedom, of kindness. And the world says, just stop with, just put your head down and play on your phone. Just don't worry about that stuff. Just stay right here on your phone. We'll figure it out. And we are unburdened. We are in sin and we need help. So have a great morning. I'm going to see you later. <laughs> no, the story goes on. Believe it or not, Paul is a wise person. Instructed by the Lord, writes more than just Galatians 5. He write, goes on to write Galatians 6. That is the spirit life in real life. There are real applicable ways to apply this spirit-filled life. And we're going to talk about them this morning. If you have your Bible and your outline, bring them out. And you'll see that there are four ways that we're going to talk about, about how we can be living out the spirit-filled life in a world that tells us that we shouldn't be doing that. In a world that is stuck under many burdens and sin. And as we exist in an environment where we're tempted to go that direction, how do we live out the spirit-filled life? Well, the first one is this. In Galatians 6.1, it says this, to restore the sinners. We're going to talk about what that means, but let's read it together. Brethren, If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. What does it mean to be caught in any trespass? Just so you know, the wording and the way it was originally written was not caught as in you kick open the door, I see you, you sinner, I've caught you. That's not exactly what it means. What it more means is you're walking along and your foot gets trapped by a bear trap. I've been caught. 
and you've fallen in or to a trap. And as we get trapped in our trespasses, in our sins, we need those who are spiritual to restore us in gentleness. I used to work at a skate park, and people would come to the skate park who were incredibly inexperienced, and they would think, you know what's a good idea? I'm going to drop in on a half pipe. If you don't know what that is, it's a big sloped ramp that is designed to break ankles, and you drop in, you put the skateboard on it, and then you, you drop in like that. And when I was working at the skate park one day, I saw this girl come over, and it always happens. So you're trying to impress your friends, and you're like, you know, hey, I'm going to drop in on the half pipe. They're like, do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm over there thinking, 9-1. I just wait, you know. <laughs> and I'm watching her. And she, she goes to do it. And she drops in and she falls. She tumbles. She screams. So I go, oh boy. So I run over there. And she's sitting there. And she's, she's holding her leg about like this. Her, her foot is pointed towards me. Everything looks normal from, from where I'm looking. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I know a little bit about first aid. I don't really know much about first aid. All I know is if it looks broken, it probably is broken. That's about as far as I got. But I think, okay, I'm going to help her out. I know that if I lift up her leg like this and I move her foot around a little bit, if it hurts real bad, that's a good sign. If it, if it looks malformed, that could be that it's broken. So I walk over to her and I say, young lady, I'm going to check your leg out. Is that okay? She says, yes, it hurts. It feels really weird. It's always a bad sign. It feels really weird. Okay. So I lift up her foot, and like a loose broken clock hand, her foot swings around to the back like this. And it's just like jellyfishing there. So I take, I grab her foot, and I move it back, and I put it down, and I say, all right, something is wrong. (laughs) I need you to stay put. I'm going to call the president or someone. I don't know who, but I'm going to call the ambulance. They're going to come. And they're going to give you a bionic foot because this one's ruined. You can't do anything with it anymore, all right? (laughs) It turns out she had broken it and dislocated it and things were massively wrong. She had been fallen. She had fallen into a broken ankle. And here's where, where I want to go with this. What would be a bad way for me to approach this situation? All right, let me see this. I pick it up. Her foot swings around like a broken clock. And I go, you know what the problem is? The thing is just unscrewed. And I just try to turn it back in. Get some duct tape wrapped around it. She would pass out from the pain. And she would go, what are you doing? You're killing my foot. But oftentimes, people fall into sin. Young people fall into sin. They are with people who they think they're making good decisions and they make bad decisions. Oftentimes, all of us, we think that we're making the good decisions and we're making the wrong ones. And we let sin take a hold of us and we fall into this. And then our friends, those who are spiritual, say, we need to restore this person. So they show up at your door. Where's the sinner at? And they take you and they start beating you. They take a Bible, they start hitting you over the head with it. And you think, this is not the way to restore me. The way to restore me is to come alongside me and say, something has gone wrong. I'm here to help. Let's talk about it. We need to figure out what is wrong and begin the slow process to restoring you to a spiritual relationship with Jesus. In a way of gentleness, we need to restore those who are caught in sin. If we continue to beat people over their head with their sin, we will continue to look like people who beat people over their head with their sin. But if we approach the world in gentleness about the ways in which they have become fractured and separated from the creator, 
we will be seen as spiritual people, restoring sinners to gentleness. But it goes on. There's not only people who are stuck in sin, there are people who are just burdened. Like I said, there's a lot going on. And each and every one of you live in Orange County. And living in Orange County is one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you're young. You grow up with so many messages in your head. You learn that you don't look right. You don't speak right. You don't dress right. Nothing about you is right. But if, and only if, you could look like someone in the movies, your favorite singer, the most popular person at school, the most, you know, affluent person at work, if you can just figure it out, if you can figure out the way in which to succeed in this culture, then you got it going on. But the secret is nobody does. We are all under an immense burden. And Paul talks about it. It says this, read with me, Galatians 6. 6, six, or, uh, six two says this. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Let me just break down what this verse means in the original context and in the original language so you get a better picture of what's going on. If you see in verse 2 where it says, bear one another's burdens, that's a specific word. Now jump over in verse 5 for it says, for each one will bear his own load. Those are two separate words in the original language. The first one is a heavy burden. Something so heavy that you cannot bear it. It's a heavy weight. Think gigantic dumbbells on your back that you can't lift. Especially me. I'm not very good at lifting weights. I was blessed with like lankiness or something like that. But you know, you can't lift, right? It's too much to bear. But when each one will bear their own load, think a backpack. Each one of us has things that we're going through. Each one of us has our own issues and our own life, which comes with a necessary certain set of burdens. But they are bearable. You can put them on your back. Other people are under situations that are too heavy for them. And when the passage says you need to check yourself and not be too boastful in the way in which you are bearing your own load or else you'll miss others, what the saying is this. Don't be too proud of yourself don't be too self-praising about your own backpack that you're carrying and miss the people who are stuck under their own weight. We must boast appropriately about what we have, that the Lord has allowed us to bear what we have, and that drives us to see others who are caught in their burdens. That's what that verse meant in the original language. And for us today, what that looks like is getting to know people that you don't know, and understanding the burdens that they have in a real way. It's not enough to know someone's burdens. You truly have to know them and know what it's like to bear that burden. I have a, a brother-in-law. His name is Evan. He's got one of those couches that folds out into a bed. Have you ever seen those things? They weigh like 3,600 pounds, and they don't make them anymore because they are just a lot, they're really heavy. And he said, hey, I need some help lifting this up my staircase, right? I said, okay, cool, be there in three days. <laughs> uh, no, I, I said, yeah, I'll be right over. And when I got there, 
there, it was evident that this is a huge, heavy piece of furniture. And he says, I cannot do this on my own. Can you help me? Because with one person, it's not possible. But with multiple people, it is possible. But when I lift up that couch and I begin to bear the burden, I begin to lift that heavy weight, what do I realize? I realize a little bit what it's like to have that burden. I realize a little bit what it's like to be under that pressure and to have that burden. Many of us hear of the burdens of others and we say, we're here for you. But we never go to that next step of actually trying to lift it with them. Actually trying to get them out of those burdens. Because when we do that, you begin to experience the weight of it. You begin to experience of what, a little bit of what it's like to be in that burden. And that's the challenge for us today. As we seek to bear one another's burdens, we need to know the burdens that they have. Let me give you a super personal, super personal example. My wife and I, uh, we can't have children biologically. We've adopted this beautiful little boy named Matthew. We're also trying to adopt again. And we have been in two match situations, and they fall through. They've fallen through twice, and it's it's really hard. It's really difficult. If I had friends that came alongside me and said, Doug, Jesse, we love you. We are here for you. But never asked us any, never understood what it's like to be in our position. Never sat with us and asked us how we are and truly felt how we're doing. Cried with us. Got excited with us and then got sad with us. If they didn't actually pick up some of the weight themselves, they wouldn't know what it's like to have the burden. Obviously, no one's going to know exactly where you're at. But if you're the type of person who says, I want to be there for you, but not feel any of it, what are you doing? Are you truly bearing their burden? Are you truly bearing their burden with them? We need to be people who are getting to know the burdens of others. Not just knowing them, but feeling them. And as you do it, make sure that the burdens that you have in your life are not wearing you down and are not overtaking you. I like the example of when the plane is crashing, all these, you know, oxygen masks pop out of the ceiling and they say, make sure you secure your own mask before you secure the mask of the person next to you. You wouldn't secure your own mask and be like, I'm good, and just sit there, right? you got to look around. Once it's secure, you look around and you help people. But you also don't want to start helping everyone else and go, why am I passing out? Your own oxygen mask, right? It's not too hard. To understand, it's very hard to do. The passage goes on. It's my favorite book, my favorite passage in the entire Bible. It, <laughs> it says, uh, Galatians 6, uh, 6 says this, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This passage, in its original meaning, is straightforward. Let me explain to you what's going on here. Paul, who wrote this, is a missionary traveling around the ancient world. They need support. They're the ones who are explaining 
teaching, giving the life-giving word that Jesus gave to them, they are passing it on. And as they do that, they need help. So when he says, don't forget to share and be good to the one who has taught you, he's saying share with your leaders. The ones who call you to betterness, the ones who are doing good to you, who are giving you the word of God, don't forget to do good to them. What he specifically means in this way is, I need to live, I need to eat, I need ways in which to pass around the word that I'm giving you. You need to help me. And what he says is, if you hear all of this stuff and take all of your resources and you spend them on other things, things that are fleshly, things that are of the world, things that make you better, make your kingdom greater, if you spend them on that, you will reap Corruption. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap the flesh. So he says, instead, don't do that. Look at what we're doing. We're spreading a gospel of freedom, of eternal life, of love and joy. Reap to those things, the things of the Spirit, and you will in turn, you, if you sow to those, you will reap those things. Love, freedom, eternal life. So what you sow to, you will reap to. And let that be a warning to us. If we sit here on a Sunday morning and we think, man, I really love what's going on. I love the vision of what, of what Calvary's doing. I love the vision of what Christianity and the followers of Christ are doing. And there's so much evil and hatred and, and bad things in this world that we need to spread the gospel of love and we need to be out there preaching and talking about who Jesus is and how he changes lives. And then we spend every single one of our resources, our time, our money, our energy on other stuff. We're just stocking up on Game Boys and iPhones and, you know, eating whatever we want to eat and buying whatever we want to buy, I think someone would look at you and say, where, what are you doing with all of your resources? Where are you sowing? Because where you sow, you will reap. It leads us to our last point, this, that we are to be people who love everyone. The passage ends like this, in Galatians 6, 9, says this, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The point is this, that as we are to be people who are living out this spirit-filled life in real life, we are to be people who are restoring sinners in gentleness, people who are helping the burdens with the burdens of others. We are to be sharing with our leaders. And more than anything, we are to be loving everyone. We are to be bringing goodness into people's lives. As you see a situation and you know someone, what you need to do to bring goodness into their life is you need to know who they are, know the burdens that they're under, know the sin issues that they've been trapped in, and bring goodness into that. That is loving your neighbor like yourself. We love God so that we can love our neighbors. And loving our neighbors is bringing goodness into their life and bearing one another's burdens. If I can be a nerd for one minute. Goodness. You know, how do you bring goodness into a situation? Well, goodness, there is, you can't really go out and find goodness, you know? What's that saying? If someone says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing good. They say, no, Batman does good. You are doing well or something like that, right? There's good, like you're doing good in the world. What does that mean? How do you bring goodness into a situation? Well, goodness is one of the ancient ways of understanding things that fit into multiple categories. There's truth, there's beauty, and there's goodness. Those things are trans-categorical. 
That's your big word for the day. Transcategorical. And to understand that, that means that in every category, there can be goodness. There can be good art. There can be good architecture. There can be good pizza. If you know of any, let me know. There can be good burritos. There can be good friends. There can be good music. But that one is, I don't know, that one might be hard. Uh, You know, there's goodness in all these different categories. So how do you know what to do? You have to be the type of person who is accustomed to and knows goodness. You have to be the type of person that can see goodness and know how to bring it into a situation. When I see the person with a broken ankle, I lift it up, swings around. (laughs) What would be good in this situation? It would be good to bring this person to someone who's more of a professional than I am. That would be the good of that situation. That's why it fits into these different categories. So when Paul tells us to be people who do good, we need to be people who are tuned in to what God is doing, what God has told us about the world, the truth and the beauty that he has given us, and the goodness that he has brought about through his son Jesus. And as we could become more accustomed to that, when we get to know people in their situations and in their context, we know how to bring goodness into their world. Be those types of people. That's the spirit life in real life. And it happens primarily in relationships. It happens primarily in you getting to know people. If you're wondering who your neighbor is, everybody, everybody point to their right. Point to your right. Okay, start with that person, all right? That's how you do that, okay? You start with that person. If you're looking who is somebody in your life that you can do good to, start with the person you're sitting next to. Get to know them. What are the things that are burdening them? What are the issues that they're dealing with? How can you bring goodness into this? It's happened here at Calvary for a long time. It's happened in my life. I want to show you my brief story of who I am and how I got to be here. Because people, believe it or not, I have burdens. I have sins. People have entered into my life and helped me with my burdens, helped me with my sins, and they've done good to me. Here's two people. This person here is Jeff Biddle. This person here is Matt Doan. You probably know these people. This is when they were much younger. Matt was a big fan of Pooh Bear when he was growing up. (laughs) Jeff really liked licorice. Those are safety goggles. This is youth ministry, all right, in the 90s, okay? These people were the ones who were using their gifts, their ability to love, to bear my burdens and call me out of my sin. Jeff was the youth pastor here at Calvary. Matt worked with him. Eventually, Jeff begins to show Matt how to do things. He begins to show him how to love people how to bear one another's burdens, how to enter into people's lives, to see the issues, and to begin to do good. This is, again, Jeff, Matt, they're baptizing someone. Again, Matt becomes the high school pastor to the three coolest guys in the whole world. By the way, this was a super cool look in the 90s. They're not dressing up to look in the 90s. This was just the 90s. This is a better time. It's very... I love it. But Matt becomes the youth pastor. And as Matt is guiding people and teaching people and showing others how to love, he brings somebody on staff named Tim Nellis. Boom, right there. Here's Tim. These are what the church vans used to look like. They had no headrests, perfect for decapitation. They were all red velvet on the inside. 
and they smelt really bad. But this was, this was youth ministry again. Tim Nellis comes on board. And as Tim is there, Tim starts to learn from Matt. Tim, Matt is entering into Tim's life, bearing his burdens, doing good to him. And as Tim does that, Tim says, I need to reach out into other people's lives. I don't know if you know this, but that's me. I'm sitting there in the van. I had no facial hair. I had a lot more hair. And my teeth were way straighter than they are now. <laughs> but this is me. Tim begins to do youth ministry, takes weird pictures at Hume Lake. This is normal. I don't know what's going on here, but here's Tim. He was always perpetually injured. So you know, this is the way it was, right? But as he lived and gave himself into other people's lives, he led a small group. Here he is in the middle. This was my small group. I'm standing in the back. You can hardly see me. And I'm holding a mannequin head. So as you can tell... There's many sins and burdens that needed to be bared with me. And as I'm here and getting to know Tim, Tim is doing something that we all should be doing. He's entering into my life. He's asking me questions about the things that are difficult for me. What's your family like? What's your life like? What does God mean to you? And as he asks me those things, it's evident that there's sin in my life that I've been trapped in. But also it's evident that there's things in my life that are burdens. And as Tim comes alongside me and says, I will feel those with you. And I'm going to bring into this situation goodness and love and life. It enabled me to grow closer to God. It enabled me to be a better Christian. And to be someone who's more loving, who's kinder, who's more joyful. And serves the Lord more. So much so that I I decided I want to work here at Calvary. And now I spend all of my days pouring into more students and trying my hardest to bear their burdens with them and bring goodness into their situations. As they are going through so much, it is our job to come alongside them and bear their burdens with them. But not only to them, it's to all of us. This is our call. If we're going to be people who live the spirit-filled life out in real life, you have to know the people around you. You have to know your neighbors. And you have to be the type of people who come into their life to do good for them, to bear their burdens, to gently restore them in their sin. Because that's the spirit life in real life. Let me pray for you all this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, we love you so much. God, it is difficult to be a believer in our modern culture, in Orange County. God, I pray for each and every one of these people that you would be with them, that you would put people in their lives to gently restore them in their sins, to call them out from their burdens and bring goodness into their lives. God, as we serve our neighbors, we're serving you. Lord, teach us to love like you love. Teach us to care like you care. Lord, we pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be here. If you want prayer, you can come over to one of these prayer points on either side. As we sing and as we are encouraged and as we together unify our voice to praise the Lord, I pray that you see that we are here for you to bring goodness into your life and bear your burdens. Thank you. All the poor 